Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 802 with Ken Schwartz. You know, planning can mean different things to different people, right? It can mean lines on paper, right? Oh, we're creating a plan or a design. But a lot of it also can be uh, in terms of a spreadsheet, right? Financial planning. What needs to take place to actually be financially successful, financially viable? Are you ready for it? it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free let me give you four reasons why you need me's in your restaurant one it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet it will give you immediate output of your cost and your conversions that should be the only reason why you need me's but there's a second reason why you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image compression so your team can see exactly what they need when they need it here's the third reason you will reduce your waste and execute with consistency. Mies enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need. That's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions. Here's the last reason. You will organize and share your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive built specifically for the culinary operation. Go to getmies.com slash unstoppable and you will get your first three months free when you get the annual business plan. What up, Unstoppables? Just a quick reminder that I need your help, and you can help by supporting the show. You can support our sponsors. You can support our affiliates, and you can share this thing with everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. And if we can share this information, if we can make an example of these individuals, I truly believe we can transform the industry. That's the mission, to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. But I need your help, so spread the word. Uh, Today, we're talking to Ken Schwartz. So Ken, if that name sounds familiar, Ken Schwartz, it's because he was recently on the show. He was abs- he was actually episode 789. So only 13 episodes ago, he joined us. And during that interview, when I was down in, I believe I connected with Ken in Tampa, uh, when I was down in Tampa, we were talking and doing the interview and Ken started getting into uh, this process that he goes through with all of his new clients called ramping up for financial sustainability. And basically what that is and what he was talking about was really trying to identify all the hidden costs that come with opening a restaurant that some people who are new to the game just don't pick up on. Uh, so we really, in today's episode, I kind of make Ken go deeper on that one subject that we touched on in episode 789. Today, 
Ken is just going deep into this one subject of the process he takes his clients through uh, to ramp up for financial sustainability. And that basically just means like how to plan for a runway, you know, and, and what things to take into, into consideration that just, you know, most people aren't aware of. So that's what we're getting into today. Uh, this was a live recording in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And uh, basically, that's what the network is, is I'm, I'm inviting my listeners, you, to come hang out and be a part of these conversations and literally get to connect with my guests, uh, people that would normally cost you, I don't know how many dollars hundreds of dollars an hour uh, for 30 bucks a month. You get to be a part of the conversation. And what I really want to do is start listening to what your pain points are and uh, and serving those pain points, because the odds are if you're having trouble with something, somebody else is, too. And by having you guys tell me where your pain is, uh, I can create better content. So that's kind of the idea. And you can join the conversation. So if you enjoyed today's conversation and you're jealous that you weren't a part of it, then come join the network, be part of the conversation. And I guess with no further ado, uh, here is Ken Schwartz. So with excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show for a second time, Ken Schwartz, the president and CEO of SSA Food Service Design and Consulting. Ken, how are you today? Uh, Doing great. How are you? Great. So when we first had Ken on the show, uh, organically in conversation, it came up this mentality of being financially sustainable, especially when opening a restaurant and uh, when you say financial sustainability, what comes into my mind is just what are all the hidden costs that are going to come up? What are what is the money should have put away uh, to to have a runway during the slow months when you know we don't haven't quite developed that cash flow yet uh, to pay for our employees, to pay for the hidden costs, of rent, whatever it might be. How can we be financially sustainable? Is, is am I on track? You are. All right, beautiful. So we're gonna dive into uh, basically real quick today five elements. What is ramp up to financial sustainability? (laughs) What is the difference between ramp up to financial sustainability spreadsheet and the business plan? Understanding how critically important it is to create a realistic ramp up to financial sustainability uh, spreadsheet. What elements and factors go into and impact financial sustainability? And lastly, understanding the new difference between cash flow and versus cash need. Uh, so I cannot wait to get into this conversation, but why don't we get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra? The last time you were on the show, you said, We take our work incredibly seriously, but not ourselves. Do you want to stick with that one or do you want to throw a new one at us? No, because that one's, well, that one's still very true because it is the way we operate. But I think because of the the topics of today's uh, podcast, I think I want to add another. And the other is, and everybody's heard this before, and it means different things to different people, but there is no substitute for poor planning, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, or great planning, right? And and so, you know, planning can mean different things to different people, right? It can mean lines on paper, right? Oh, we're creating a plan or a design, right? But a lot of it also can be uh, in terms of a spreadsheet, right? Financial planning and and what needs to take place to actually be financially su- successful, financially viable. And a lot of times there are businesses that are on track to do really well, they just don't have the capital to fund that moment where they're actually doing well. And so they end up closing, going out of business, filing for bankruptcy, 
Uh, and it's very, very unfortunate, but a lot of it has to do with just poor planning, not being prepared to, to figure out what it's going to take uh, to get to that point of financial sustainability. So awesome but, way to get things started. And I think it's really suiting uh, today's conversation where basically it all comes down to planning for financial sustainability. Um, so where does it make sense to start today's conversation? Just explaining what financial sustainability is. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to bounce back and forth a little bit uh, uh, relative to financial sustainability and business plan, uh, because a lot of people say, well, oh, I have a business plan. And uh, the, the fallacy of the business plan is it's missing a lot of things, right? Not, not the plan itself, but there are other factors and elements that go into to capital need that are more than just, oh, here's our business plan. And so for a lot of people, what a business plan means is here's our projected financials of what we think the business is going to do. Right. And so the problem with that is and the fallacy, the pitfall is it is a financial statement is primarily um, it is an illustration of, of what has occurred in business. The business plan is the vision of what you would like to occur. Reality and wishful thinking are not always exactly the same thing. And so when we talk to clients about putting together a business plan, um, we talk about being ultra, ultra conservative, right? Because it's really easy to, um, to get very excited about what the business could do and get a little overzealous in projecting revenue and forget about a lot of things that are either day-to-day operating expenses or, and here's probably a super huge factor that a lot of people don't think about, is the startup capital needs. So I'm going to hit on that also, right? Because all of those things have got to be capitalized. So how do we get to, how do we get to a document that is the uh, ramp up to financial sustainability? Well, first of all, you got to, uh, and I got to tell everybody, right? This is a term uh, that we made up. It's not. It's not. I don't know that it's necessarily uh, a, an acceptable term under general accounting practices throughout our country. Um, but as we started working with clients years and years and years ago, uh, we realized that a piece that they were missing is this kind of ramp up to financial sustainability. The short definition is, it is exactly what it says it is, is what, what is the ramp up period needed to achieve financial sustainability? And what that really means is, at, at what point in the business from, from opening day to date X, that all of a sudden revenue starts to exceed expenses on a consistent basis. So when revenue starts exceeding expenses on a consistent basis, then the revenue line has surpassed the expense line. That is the moment when the business reaches financial sustainability. Now, how do you get there, right? So if I take a step back and we say, okay, let's look at the business plan. And the business plan, and for the most part, 99% of the business plans that come to us from uh, clients that they've put together is primarily a financial statement. Here's our profit and loss statement. Here's what we think we're going to do. Here's our, here's our gross revenue. 
We got to our gross revenue because we have 83 seats. We're a lunch and dinner place. We think at lunch, we're going to turn our seats 1.25 times. We think at dinner on these days, we'll turn our tables 1.4 times. And on Friday and Saturday night, we may turn our seats uh, 2.2 times. And our, our average lunch ticket is X. Our average dinner ticket is Y. Our, our beverages at lunch are X number of dollars. Our beverages at dinner are X. All of this rolls into this is our gross revenue. From that, you have to then deduct, here's our cost of goods sold, right? Here's our food costs. Here's our beverage costs. Uh, you have to deduct operating costs, all of those things to, uh, to get to a pre-tax revenue, typically, excuse me, typically in the industry uh, known as EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation, EBITDA. So, when we talk about that, right, and we look at somebody's financial, it is it is gross revenue, less expenses, equals their EBITDA or their pre-tax profit, right? That's it. That's their financial statement. This is our business plan. Well, I'm here to tell you, um, clear your mind because you're not doing that on day one right? Your gross revenue is not going to be at that projected level on day one, and most likely neither will be your expenses for a couple of reasons, right? On day one, your, your electric bill is going to be 100% of your electric bill. However, because you're ramping up, you're starting up your business, your labor costs may not be completely at your projected labor cost on day one. Your marketing costs may not be uh, at your projected. So what we do is we work with the client and we say, okay, this ramp up to financial sustainability, we start projecting, right? Whether it's week one or month one, however we really want to look at it, we can look at it more macro or more micro, is that on day one, whether it's month one or week one, we're projecting, let's say, for example, that of your business plan expenses that you're going to be operating at about uh, 80% of your projected expenses because you're not going to have all of those expenses on opening day. Conversely, right, you're probably only going to be operating at about 40%, maybe 50% of your projected gross revenue, right? So those are important factors because on day one, Right, where uh, uh, initially you were thinking, right, that perhaps on day one you were going to be selling uh, 10 bucks a day and your expenses were going to be $5 a day, leaving you a pre tax profit of five bucks. It's not going to be that way. On the first day, your sales are only $5, but your expenses are seven. You have a loss of two bucks, right? Yeah. Um, so we actually already have a question in. It's actually a question I had uh, from Kyle that typed it in. How yeah. about projecting expenses uh, you don't know, like utilities, build out, uh, if hood and walk-in is needed? Super. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super. So good question, Kyle. So let's talk about what are expenses, operating expenses versus capital investment. So another piece of the capital need uh, is... And I made a whole separate list of this, right? And, and this is going to add into, uh, cash flow and cash need. So, 
So the ramp up to financial sustainability is a profit and loss statement only, right? That's separate from what is our cash need. So what comes out of the ramp up to financial sustainability is, is an identifier for additional cash, cash need above and beyond capital need. Capital need are things like, and I'm going to call it startup or pre-opening expenditures or investments. Things like a couple of my favorites, uh, design team and consulting fees, uh, licenses, permits, uh, construction costs, construction impact fees, right? A lot of cities will charge if you're going into a new location, uh, uh, water, sewer, transportation impact fees. Closing costs, if you're, if you're borrowing the money from an institution, right? Potential closing costs, deposits, utility deposits, insurance deposits, right? All of, all of these out of pocket, um, expenditures that are not an expense, but a capital investment, uh, technology, right? POS system, software, hardware, uh, marketing costs, um, and the other piece of it is interest on money. So <clears throat> if you're borrowing money to, to go into a, a, a lease space, you're going to have rent deposits, right? In addition to utility deposits. Um, but you're also going to have, uh, uh, there may be a construction period, right? A renovation period. And you're borrowing the money to do that. During that time, you're also paying interest on that money. So, so these are part of the startup costs. So the carrying cost of those loans. Um, again, other kinds of deposits, water, sewer, trash, electric, gas, uh, steam, probably if you're in the Northeast. So there are all those utilities. And then there's non-construction, right? So there's furniture and fixtures, opening inventory, equipment, small equipment, smallware, glasswares. And then a lot of things that people don't really think about is what is the projected cost of opening labor? When are you hiring managers? When are you starting to hire people and train people pre-opening? And there's a carrying cost for that. And then a carrying cost for that pre-opening inventory where you're, you know, working on recipes, creating recipes, doing the friends and family uh, meals to train. There's a cost of all of those things. Those all have to be built up into the startup costs. And that cost has got to be capitalized, right? So, so what are they? And they're different on every project, but they have to be identified uh, and there has to be a placeholder for them, a financial placeholder. So and really, those, sure. Uh, yeah. Sorry to cut you short. You mentioned earlier um, the difference between an expense versus a capital investment. Um, does it make, do you mind just clarifying that? Am, am I cutting you? Am I taking you? Am I, I don't want to derail you though. No. So, so, uh, a, a capital investment is is um, is a part of the project that actually goes into to developing the project, right? And in a lot of cases, uh, aside from things like deposits, right, which are refundable, uh, but things like construction costs, right, those get amortized, right, and depreciated over time. So those come off of your tax return. Or, or get deducted from income uh, as a as a depreciable item, right? So, so that is a capital investment. Expenses are operating expenses, 
labor, cost of goods sold, gas, electric, insurance, marketing, rent. Those are, those are direct expenses that come off the bottom line of the, of the financial. So one is, one is a, is a theoretically a purchase of assets, whether it's construction or hard equipment to get depreciated. And that depreciation comes off your tax return. The other is day-to-day operating expenses. Services. Yeah. Got it. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so w- w- I can't help but think as it goes through my mind. And when I, when you say the word ramping up, it's like, it's almost like uh, I, when I hear that, I think of like ramping your business up. And I think a lot of times people get in trouble because they have, they say, I want to open a restaurant and they envision this 100 seat restaurant with all these facilities and like in this, this, all these just liabilities really. And it's just like, why do you need to start there? Why not limit your liability? Why not start as small as possible and start where you can? And I don't think people realize how easy it is to start today, especially with the, the uh, evolution of ghost kitchens. And we have, uh, you know, uh, all these different um, spaces out there we can rent or just move into an existing space during off hours, you know, Um, do you, do you think that plays into ramping up? Totally. It, It will totally impact initial capital need. Um, It also um, shortens the amount of time that you can go from, I've decided I'm going to do this. I've started to spend the first dollar to opening day. It it materially shortens that versus one, building a building, right? Which will take the longest or going into a plain vanilla box, right? Let's say you're renting a space on the ground floor of a building and uh, landlord provides a uh, just an empty vanilla box that's got to be designed, built out, et cetera, versus going into a space, probably the most beneficial uh, um, opportunity would be going into a space that was previously a food service operation. It's already going to, and again, it may need to be gutted, completely cleaned out and kind of started over, but it's already got incoming utilities, right? Right impact fees for that type of use have already been paid because there's a lot of municipalities when you ch- when you do what's called a change of use if something's going from a retail operation to a food service operation by a lot of the zoning rules and laws that's called a change of use so you have to hire a, a zoning attorney you got to go through a change of use and a lot of times a change of use because of the the intensity of use the intensity of the type of business if you think about going from, we don't see too many of these anymore, but it's, it's a great analogy, like, like, a, like a retail space that was a travel agent, and now you're going to put a restaurant in it. It's a change of use because the restaurant creates a lot more traffic. It uses a lot more water, a lot more sewer, thereby municipalities charge impact fees because you're impacting that infrastructure greater than, let's say, the insurance company did. So I'm going I'm to say, and I say this to every client, buyer beware, and I'll emphasize by cussing and saying, make damn sure, you know, if you're going into a space, whether there is a requirement for impact fees or not, because the impact fees can be substantial. And when I say substantial, they can be 100000 plus, sometimes 200000 depending on the municipality and the size of the operation. And I'll give you just a prime example. Years ago, we were working on a, on a new restaurant for a client in Tampa. We were hired by the architectural team 
And at every meeting, I said, somebody needs to reach out to the city and find out about the impact fees and do the calculation on the impact fees. And the architect said, Ken, don't worry about it. We'll get it to it when we figure out the plans and everything. Well, they didn't need to figure out the plans, right? They could take the space. It was 8,000 square feet. We know that 60% is going to be front to house, right? So 4,800 square feet. 4,800 square feet divided by 20 square feet per seat. We could get 200, 225 seats in there. Like we could do the simple math in our heads, right? And say, go to the city, tell them we're going to have 200 to 225 seats. This is the, Ken, don't worry about it. You know, when we go in for permitting, we'll figure it out. I probably said it a dozen times. And the client, the architect finally just said, please don't bring it up again. I said, well, okay, I, you know, I, I did my piece. The client paid every, the architect, engineers, interior designer, lighting designer, audiovisual, food service consultant for the fees to design this place. It was probably, the design fees were probably $400,000. Submitted the drawings to the city for plan review, got through a couple of comments. Plans are approved, ready for the permit to be picked up. Before you can get the permit, you have to pay the impact fees. The impact fees on that project were $180,000 and the client went ballistic and it killed the project. So impact fees can be a singer. So understand the spaces that you're looking at, what's included and what's not included. And a lot of times when a developer has built a strip center or a complex, they've already paid the impact fees, but you gotta know that, you gotta ask those questions. If they haven't been paid, because the other thing is, if you if you have if they have to be paid as part of your project, the payment of the impact fees doesn't stay with your operation; it stays with the property. So a lot of times, it can be something that can be negotiated with the landlord. But buyer beware. Understand that there may be impact fees, transportation, water, sewer, etc. Ask the question and get it in writing whether impact fees are required, waived, or had already been paid. But make sure you understand that because it can be painful. Yeah. So I think the, the big thing to keep an eye open for is, is there going to be a change of use? If you look at the space, there's going to be a change of use. The next exactly. question is change what, of use. what is the impact fee going to be? Or are there any associated impact fees? And don't assume because there was a restaurant that had been there for 30 years and you're going to go in and gut it. Right. There may have been now um, a, a code or a law change that now requires impact fees for any new license. So, again, just be aware. Definitely ask the question. So back to ramp up to uh, financial sustainability. So if you really think about this, this kind of you know, this kind of curve, right, that, you know, you're really projecting sales somewhere here on your financial, but you're starting here on day one. And, and, you know, it's, we all like to think, listen, I'm a great chef. I'm a great business person. I'm a, our menu is fantastic. Our place is killer. If we build it, they will come. And I hope so. Right. But you may have to do some work to get them to come. Right. And it may take some time. So, you know, if you think about this is where your sales are starting on day one and you'd like to get up to here and, and this little, uh, this little angle, listen, it could be a week. It, it could be six months. It could be 18 months to, to get to this point. And what you have to do is for every month that there is a loss, this is the most important thing in doing the ramp up to financial sustainability. And again, being as conservative as possible. 
for every month that there is a loss, that loss has got to be capitalized. So if you're thinking your your revenue today is going to be five is going to be eight dollars, and your your expenses are going to be seven, but your revenue and your profit's going to be a dollar. If your revenue was only five and your costs were still seven, you have a deficit of two bucks. That two bucks has got to be capitalized somehow. Now, if you take that two dollars every day, and it's two dollars today. And it's a dollar ninety-five tomorrow, and a dollar ninety the next day. And each day, the loss is getting less and less as you get closer to this break-even. All of that has got all of that loss has got to be added up, and you got to have the capital to cover the loss. So our our stance on ramping up to financial sustainability is is estimating to the best of our ability the amount of time it's going to take you based on your sales and based on the size and based on menu and based on uh, 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 how you're going to charge for things and number of turns and all of these things that we can, we can mathematically calculate to determine one, how long it's going to take and what that amount of loss is going to be. Because whether you're coming out of pocket, you're borrowing capital from an institution or investors, you got to make sure you got enough capital to cover the loss. And probably the single biggest failure of all small businesses is not having enough capital to get to profitability. And that's what ramping up to financial sustainability endeavors to show to the best that we can estimate, not only what that timeline is going to look like, but what that dollar amount is going to be. Awesome. So have you answered the question yet? What is the difference between ramp up to financial sustainability and spreadsheet or, and um, business plan? Like what are the two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So theoretically, right. When we actually do a business plan for clients, a ramp up to financial sustainability document spreadsheet is actually part of the business plan. I think the piece of business planning that most people miss is the ramping up to financial sustainability. A lot of people will say, okay, I know I'm going to have all of these startup costs, right? I know I got to buy computers and I know I got to buy tables and chairs and we need China and we need opening inventory, right? They've identified a lot of these things that they need. They didn't think about impact fees. They didn't think about the deposits to the utility companies, insurance companies, and the other thing that they didn't think about is, is not only how much money do I need for opening inventory, but how, many, how long do I have to capitalize the opening inventory, right? You order stuff today, you're ordering again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But on day one, you're buying, you're, you know, you're, you're loading in 100% of your projected inventory, right? On day two, you're replenishing a portion of that. On day three, uh, an additional portion, right? Each of those days that you're ordering, again, unless you have some very, very strong credit, those vendors, especially like the, the beer and alcohol vendors, are going to get, they're going to expect payment every time they deliver. So again, you got to think about what, how much of that capital you need as well, again, before you're breaking even, because that's, you know, that's is a capital requirement. It's a cash requirement. So another thing that we do too. So, so now we have this business plan. The business plan is a projection of, of 
what the business is going to do. And a lot of people will do it and go, you know, here's our first year, here's our second year, here's our third year, here's our fourth, here's a compilation of the four years, here's what we think we, we're going to do. And maybe we're going to have a little bit of loss in the first six months of the first year, but they haven't quantified it. The ramping up helps to quantify it so that you can also understand what some of that, uh, that capital need uh, needs to be. So you can assure, because you're making a huge investment to get to that opening day. Now, if you haven't capitalized that kind of ramp up period, you could easily go out of business in the first six months because you've just simply run out of money and your investment just slowly starts to go down the drain. And, and what is evident by that, and I don't remember the, the national statistic, it's been a while, but I think it was like 83% of the new restaurant openings in the country closed in the first 12 months. Yeah. And again, a lot of it was just to, again, no excuse for a good planning, no substitute for good planning, right? And it was just because of poor planning. There was probably great planning for some of these pieces, but a complete miss on some of the key elements of it. So one of the things that we do, right? We take the client's business plan, we refine it. Collectively in discussion with them, we develop this ramp up to financial sustainability. From those, we and this and what we collectively, again with the client, work on for uh, startup and pre-opening expenditures. We then create a uh, a cash flow need spreadsheet, and it shows it can show week by week or month by month cash need. It shows money in, whether it's income or capital invested, uh, and then it shows profit or loss based on the operation. And then if there is a deficit, right, in cash, that deficit carries over to the next week or month, right? And it'll show if there needs to be an influx or if you start to be profitable, that profit then starts to eat away. So we do a whole separate cash flow analysis to show what the cash need is going to be. And a lot of this will go to help people to understand how much money they actually need to capitalize their project. And I'll tell you, you know, we, we, uh, you know, when, when clients look at our resume and go, listen, uh, you know, we're just, we're just a small operator. You know, I got to tell you, we, we, we do this for hotel clients. Uh, we've done it on a, on some of our hard rock projects. And these are big corporations with a lot of big expertise, right? But they're coming to us because they want to, they want to help to see if in the, in the documents that they're producing, have they missed some things? Are there some gaps, right? And those gaps can be, can be a pretty big dollar item, you know, big, a pretty big ticket, uh, which is a stinger. And, and listen, in big corporations, head, heads can roll when those things get missed, right? And so um, we do this for all size clients. And yes, we do it on a lot of, on a lot of big projects. And it's funny, like the, the uh, one of the examples that I pulled, and I'll show you guys, this is very tiny. This is, uh, this is a cash flow analysis that we work on for a very large resort. The resort has 54 FNB venues, 54. So we did that meal by meal period, item by item for 54 of the different venues to come up with, here's your need, here's the cash flow requirements, et cetera, et cetera. It took us months and months to put that together. 
uh, but it, it identified a lot of things that the client had not really thought about. And the things that they didn't think about required capital. And so they would have had a huge uh, shortfall uh, by not identifying these things up front. And listen, there's nothing worse uh, than starting a project and not having enough capital to finish. And I don't mean finish the build out, but getting to the opening day and then being three, four, five, nine months into this and going, we're, we're almost at the point of breaking even, but we don't have any more money to, to pay people or to keep the lights on or to buy inventory. And it's, it's disastrous. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free. Head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. Uh, we've covered a lot up to this point. I think you've communicated how critically important it is to create a realistic ramp up to financial sust- sustainability spreadsheet. Um, I, what I'm curious about now, um, ha- I mean, you dropped a lot on us already as far as the different elements that go into this planning, the different variables that we might not have uh, expected, like all of the, uh, all those expenses that you just dropped on us. There's a whole list that you've already dropped on us. Uh, what haven't you talked about yet that you're hoping to share with us? You know, we did miss something, right? Because one of the things that Kyle asked is, you know, how do you estimate things like utility bills and, you know, like electric or maybe gas. And sorry, Kyle, I didn't want to like, I I didn't want to forget about that. So a lot of times what we'll do is, right, depending on the size of the place and, you know, we we can, you know, even if we haven't started designing anything for you, right, even if we're just in the financial planning process, if you came to us and said, you know, we're thinking our place is going to be eight or 9,000 square feet and we're going to have 200 seats and, my menu is going to be this kind of style menu. We can look at previous like projects and go, okay, we're going to need, you're going to need roughly about uh, 2.1 million BTUs or the, the gas equipment is going to be about 1.2 million BTUs, right? So we can go to a local gas company and say, you know, this is going to be our need. Roughly what can we expect as our monthly gas bill? We can do the same thing uh, with the power company, right? We think it's going to be X number of square feet, typical, you know, typical restaurant usage. What can we expect as a monthly electric bill? And a lot of those um, utilities can provide you with a fairly accurate uh, estimate. So a lot of that data uh, is readily available. A lot of times too, depending on where you may be located, we may have a client in that area. We may call them, right? And, you know, maybe their place is half the size or twice the size, right? So we can just take a pro rata share and also test it that way. So there are ways to find that data and and be fairly realistic. Again, I will always say we take an extremely conservative approach 
on both the revenue and expenses. And it doesn't mean conservative, like let's not overstate expenses, conservative and let's be as realistic as possible. Because what will happen is this kind of business plan really then becomes the roadmap for directing your business down the path you need to get to to be profitable. And it becomes the, the, the business plan, especially, right, if this is a new operation. So there's no history to say, well, what did we do last year, right? What was our revenue? What was our, our food cost? What was our labor cost? So you don't have that barometer from, from previous experience. So you use that business plan to be able to, and this is some, I think a discussion I had with, with Wes one time. So each month, right, you're looking at the dollars, but you're comparing the percentages, right? Did my labor uh, percentage go up or down relative? And so watching the percentages is a telltale sign of how things are doing, right? If, and I, I think I did mention this to Wes, if all of a sudden within a month or so, your, your food costs go way up, something is wrong, right? If business is stable, but your food cost has gone way up, what's going on? Did Are, are, are your vendors charging you more than they said they were going to charge you? A lot of times it's, it's pilferage. Are, are, are staff giving food away to their friends? Do you have a chef that's running a catering business and using your inventory? But that's, you know, when you see food costs spike, it's a telltale sign that something is going on, right? It is one of those things in the restaurant industry, right? That, that usually stays fairly flat because you usually have a pretty good eye on it. But it's, but when you're looking at the spreadsheets, right? The dollars hopefully are going to change as your business change. But, but any real change in the percentage is really what you want to be looking at. Yep. And um, Martha did ask uh, if there was a list of items, like an, uh, a list of items that we need to consider or action items to consider when doing this. Uh, I know, I, I think, uh, Wes, you are correct. Restaurantowner.com does have a list that they use. You can check that out. Um, you dropped a bunch of things on us just now, Ken. Do you mind? Without getting into like a lot of detail on all those items you, you dropped on us, just kind of go through the big ones that you mentioned in your yeah, comments. yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're welcome, and I'm sorry. So yeah, because this is, and this is just a partial list. It will it will vary um, operation to operation, location to location. Um, and again, I'll give you guys some examples. We um, we got asked to uh, come in and design a uh, a central kitchen. Sorry, we, we are a very dog-friendly place, so you might hear a dog barking in the background. There are a couple of dogs here today. So if you go to our website and you look at the squad, it has our team, but it also has everybody's dog is, is on our website also. Anyway. You might see Wes's dog on his lap, so you're in good company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was very cute. But, you know, a, a point I'll make is this was a very well-known uh, national food service management company in the healthcare world who wanted to do a central kitchen. And they came to us, they were all happy, Ken, we rented this big warehouse in an industrial park. Um, and uh, we want you guys to design it. We're ready to rock and roll. We're super excited. I said, well, I'd like to see it. So I traveled, I went to see it. It was a gigantic space. And I said, couple of concerns. And I said, anytime we go into a space, I'm always concerned about systems. And I said, one of the problems that you have when you go into like a big warehouse, and this is going to be true with small operations also, 
is those structures are built primarily to support the roof, whether it's uh, rain load, snow load, whatever. The structure's not really made to hang heavy stuff from. So one of the first things I pointed out is you're going to have to get a structural engineer because I don't think that the structure, uh, and I'm not a structural engineer, but somebody has got to uh, do some due diligence and tell you whether you can hang the hood systems from the structure. Oh, no, we're sure it's fine. I said, well, I don't think it is. You're going to need a structural engineer. So I mentioned that to the project architect. They concurred, uh, brought in a structural engineer. Lo and behold, beautiful place. Structure would not support the hood system. So they actually had to add steel structure that came down to the floor. So we built these this, this big steel structure that came down to the floor columns and a structure above to actually within the structure of the building to hang the hoods. Now, you guys are probably thinking, well, yeah, my operation's not that big. Conversely, we're just starting on a, on a project in an old two-story building. The building's maybe about 80 years old, uh, and they want to do a kitchen on the second floor. And I said, again, a couple of concerns. Will the structure hold hood systems, and will the floor hold things like, uh, like steam kettle or an ice machine? So if you think about the weight of an ice machine plus 1,600 pounds of ice, Right. So let's say maybe it's 2000 pounds sitting on four legs. Right. So it's 500 pounds sitting on maybe three square inches uh, when typically a floor is rated at maybe 150 pounds per square foot. All of a sudden there's a structural problem. So even an operator, you know, whether it's Kyle, Martha, or Wes, who's looking to go into a spot and said, oh, yeah, we want to do this. And, yeah, we have a concrete floor and there's a basement below. But, again, when you put a 60-gallon steam kettle, 60 gallons at 8 pounds a gallon, right, 480 pounds, plus a couple of hundred pounds for the kettle, again, bearing on four little legs, right, what is that bearing on the structure? And so a lot of times – we find that structures have to be enhanced. So those are those things where it's always good to get your design team to look at any site you're considering before you ever sign a lease, right? Because those are things, again, those stingers that can have a huge cost impact. So let's go back to some of those pre-opening kind of expenditure lists, right? Um, and again, you know, when I say design team fees, sometimes it's not just the design team that people are actually doing the design, but getting a consulting engineer. Uh, sometimes you're looking at a, at a place that wasn't a, a restaurant or a food service operation. So you have to add a grease trap. The grease trap that's going out like, like in the ground in the parking lot requires a civil engineer. The architect and the plumbing engineer don't do that. So you'll need a civil engineer. So again, it's always good to get design team involved as a consultant before you ever consider signing a lease on a space. You're going to pay some, some, some consulting dollars. Trust me, it'll be the best money that you ever spent. So design team, consulting fees, licenses, occupational licenses, liquor licenses, county license, city license, et cetera, et cetera, permits. Uh, uh, those can be construction, renovation permits. Um, it can be uh, health department permits. All of those have a, have a cost impact. 
sometimes they have a cost impact to actually acquire them. So in, in some locations, it's much better to actually engage what's what's known as a service that is a permit expediter. They already have a relationship with the city building people. They already have a relationship with the people in the health department because they see them every single day. So a lot of times the services of a permit expediter are, are worthwhile. Uh, I mentioned construction impact fees, be aware. Uh, I, I think I missed this, legal fees. Right. If you're pursuing a liquor license, if you need to go through zoning, I don't have to tell you it's a huge mistake to even consider negotiating and signing a lease without having a lawyer look at it on your behalf. You should totally understand every nuance of the lease. And I can I can share with you a couple of horror stories, even my own, um, where it's super important to understand all of the verbiage in a lease. And I know when people are thinking about doing a project and they're getting that space that they want. And before the first line has been drawn, they're already envisioning the place open and people there and the business. Set the excitement, the excitement aside, set the emotion aside, and now get down to due diligence and, and things like understanding the nuances of the lease, the pitfalls, the insurance requirements, and making sure what your insurance covers and don't co- doesn't cover, but say, where you, you're responsible. <laughs> Sorry, what's that? I was going to say you missed insurance. I was waiting for it, but there you just you just. I you missed know. it. Yeah, I missed it when I went down the list before. So ins- insurance is on my list again. Technology, uh, the payroll prior to opening, early hire of management or 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 culinary staff, training of service staff. Right, all of that has a carrying cost before you ever open. Uh, marketing, right? Whatever your marketing plan, you need to have a marketing plan and there's going to be a cost associated with it. What is it? When is it? How much is it? That actually needs to fold into the business plan and actually goes into the cash flow report because you're going to start spending early, I think, on that. Yeah. Uh, so, Interest, uh, sorry. Real quick, you mentioned something. Um, you mentioned training in uh, before opening like expenses had to have people on staff. Typically, what is there a price per employee that you should budget for training or like what kind of cushion should we think about when ramping up to open in, in the, the energy and time we're going to put into training? It's going to be different everywhere. Right. So, and it's something we'll have to talk about, right? Because again, type of service, level of service, um, you know, do you have stewards? Do you have runners, food runners? So it's operation by operation. It's going to be locale by locale, right? You know, some places are union, right? And there's a union impact to the cost. So it's going to be different and, and, and willingness, you know, what are you going to pay, right? What is, what are your starting pays going to be? Uh, what do you have to do to get, to get talented or qualified staff, right? Because there's, there's competitive pay. So what does that mean? And it's going to be different than by by uh, every operation and by every location. So even even if you're opening up restaurant two, three, or four of the same thing in different locations, right? The the pay can be very different. So excuse me, something we'll have to talk about, and it's and it's really uh, location by location. Gotcha. So before marketing, you're yep. saying marketing. Go ahead. Uh, use of money, right? Whether you're paying interest or uh, you have to give up some shares if if you're trading capital for ownership, there's a cost to that. So, right, understanding what the cost of that is. Um, deposits, water, sewer, trash, electric, gas, et cetera, et cetera. Knowing how much in deposits you're going to have to fork out, again, before you can ever open. 
furniture, fixtures, small equipment, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, food processor, sous vide. These are typically not part of the design equipment package because a lot of it's kind of like small countertop plug and play. But, you know, things like blenders, you know, all of those things add up. So you need kind of this um, this kind of uh, uh, furniture fixtures and what we call OS&E, like the small countertop equipment and small wares, glassware, silverware, all, you know, chef's knives, tongs, right? All of these things add up. And normally on a project, we'll take, we'll take our food service equipment budget and we usually budget uh, uh, 20% of the food service equipment budget for the small equipment, glassware, smallwares, furniture. So, you know, in a, in a project that has 700,000 in equipment, there's 140,000 in small equipment and uh, flatware, china, silverware, all of those opening things. And uh, it adds up quickly. And a lot of people don't think about, you know, the, the cost of all of that stuff. And then there's the replacement because, you know, stuff, some of it's going to get broken, damaged, uh, et cetera. So that was kind of my early, just kind of bullet point startup list. And Martha, there's probably others. And, uh, and a lot of that will be, uh, one may be, um, another one may be, and, and this we experienced quite a bit when we were working in uh, Europe, is there, there's what's called key money. So you guys may, you may be looking to go into a place that currently has a lease, and maybe that is a restaurateur in there. And that restaurateur in addition to selling you the business, wants what's called key money. And that key money is buying out the what's whatever is left in their lease, right? So uh, key money is a very well-known factor and it happens quite a bit. And, and listen, it may, be, it may be an empty retail location in New York that somebody still has three years on their lease, but it's a super hot corner and you want it, you got to pay them key money to buy out their lease. You're not buying an existing business. There's nothing there. It's just an empty space, but they're keeping it because they know it's valuable and they know that somebody will pay them key money to take over the lease. So key money is another big one that's, or, that's out there. Money. Awesome. You dropped a lot on us. Um, anything you have not mentioned uh, as far as the, the list you gave me, things we're going to cover, uh, now's the time to get it out before we open it up for Q&A. No, I think, uh, I'm sorry. You know, I do know that we dumped a lot. It's a lot to take in. Uh, these are these are vital mechanics uh, in determining even a go or no-go. Again, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people get, you know, very pie-eyed, very excited about their project. I know we're going to kill it. This is the location I have to have. But I'm telling you, if the math doesn't work, walk away from it and, and find another location. We, we, um, there's a new area in Tampa that's being developed by, it's not new, it's, it's part of downtown by our arena. There's a huge development, multiple buildings and hotels going up. And I'll share with you guys, we had, a, we had a client come to us that has another operation that desperately wanted to go down there. They're, they were looking at about 3,200 square feet it's about $65 a square foot. So the rent is high, but it's highly desirable. And I, I looked at their current operation and I said, you got a couple of challenges. I said, if I take your current gross revenue and divide it by the number of seats that you have, you're roughly grossing about $14,000 a year per seat. If I look at the space that you're gonna rent, 
and I peel back the back of house, leaving X number of square feet of front of house and some outdoor dining, we can get roughly about 90 seats inside and about 60 seats outside. If I take that 150 seats and I multiply it times your $14,000 a year gross revenue per seat, I said, I don't think you have enough gross revenue, one, to to, finance, to financially support the build out. And I don't think you're going to be desirable to the landlord because you don't have enough rent to justify, or you don't have enough uh, revenue to justify the rent. And I think that that's going to scare them away and it doesn't work within your business model. And he was very bummed about it. We went and looked at the space and I said, aha, there's a lot of volume in this space. The, the Florida structure is very, very high. I said, there is an opportunity to put a mezzanine here and to get more seats. So we did a, just a very basic uh, schematic design uh, showing uh, the mezzanine and how the mezzanine would impact the seating. So we could get another roughly 80 or 90 seats in a mezzanine, right? All of a sudden, it, it changed the revenue, but it also increased the construction costs because, right, there's a cost to the mezzanine. And it's not just the ripple effect of the mezzanine, but the added seats and added people also required additional HVAC, air conditioning and heating, right? So there was a, there was a ripple effect to this, but it started to make their numbers make sense. So in a project where somebody was super excited, and then unfortunately we kind of deflated it because I'm like, your numbers don't make sense. We were able to come back with a solution that started to make it financially viable. So spend a couple of dollars, whether it's with us or listen, anybody else, there's some other people who do what we do, but spend the time on some consulting to make sure. And again, a lot of these numbers are, are to the best of ability, assumption, speculation, right? But at least a placeholder to give you a clear understanding of what should happen and then decide whether go or no go, because we don't want you to see invest life savings or borrow big money and not be successful. Here are four reasons why you need Mies in your restaurant. One, it's the most accurate recipe costing tool on the planet. Never again waste time trying to find yields and converting unit measures or creating extra sub recipes just to account for yield updates because Mies has a database of thousands of ingredients and prep actions with yields and conversions built right into the interface. So you get immediate output of your costs and your conversions. That's huge. Number two, you will train your staff the right way and save countless hours. Your team sees in real time updates of all the recipe content. Plus, you can send notifications and answer questions directly through Mies. Quickly and easily create slideshows with video and image so you can show your team exactly what they need when they need it. Here's the third reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. You will reduce waste and execute with consistency. Mies enables you to make precisely the amount of food you need. And that's because every ingredient has automated unit conversions. Tell Mies how many portions you want. Watch your recipe scale automatically. Tell Mies how much yield you want. Watch it scale automatically. You can even enter the amount of ingredients you have on hand and then watch the recipe scale automatically. Here's the fourth and final reason why you need Mies in your restaurant. It organizes and shares your content like never before. Mies is like Google Drive specifically for the culinary operation. Here's your call to action. Go to getmees. That's M-E-E-Z dot com slash 
slash unstoppable and make sure you mention restaurant unstoppable when signing up to get three free months when you get the annual business plan get on it we are back and we're gonna do some q a uh, i know martha is looking at a lot of locations right now so i'm gonna you uh pick first crack martha what are some of the questions you have for ken one of the properties that we really looked at and we think might be a good fit, it's a, an existing restaurant. Um, I guess one of the challenges we have is there's not much available out there as far as space goes. Um, it's either A, we do a full build out or B, um, I mean, there's less, honestly, we're very limited on what we need because we do need outdoor space because our smokers are outdoors. Um, so, we're actually considering possibly buying a building, but going in as a group. Um, so we would go in with some other investors. We would just be a really a minority investor. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. If you have any experience with that. Yeah, it's actually, a, you know, it's not a bad idea. Uh, it helps to uh, uh, mitigate some of the risks. Right. And then right. Uh, and and I've recommended this before, is that even if you do it on your own, that the building is owned by a separate entity from the operation and you create a separate entity for the operation and the operation is merely a tenant that pays rent. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's actually what we were thinking of doing. And honestly, the only reason why that was actually like put into our heads was um, our the landlord that we work out of of our commercial space, he has two other restaurants and he was just saying that, you know, his rent is just going up sky high. Um, And he's saying that one thing he wishes he did was that he owned the building. So that's, that's one thing we're considering. Um, The the one location is like a fried chicken spot right now. Um, And we, we contacted the landlords and they're not interested in renting to us. They said that they're only going to sell the location. Um, and honestly, there's really no other place in town that wouldn't require a full build out. So, um, well, and again, right, there may be a little higher cost to entry, but they're probably in a, you know, if it was a chain business, right, they're probably, they probably did all their research, right, relative to traffic flow and all that. Honestly, it was like a, very popular drug purchasing spot (laughs) and it wasn't a chain location (laughs) but it's actually for us it would be a great location um to be completely honest uh uh, the town is like kind of like up and coming but um, but you know they picked up the cost of you know the (laughs) fees and and zoning and all of those things right as I mentioned earlier, right, the, the period now from investing to opening day is also much shorter. Even if you had to go in and kind of gut yeah. it and wanted to renovate, the building is still up, the parking right. is still there. Even if you have to repave and stripe and landscaping, uh, much easier to get up and running. Right. So I think I might actually have to reach out to you one-on-one, Ken, because I don't even know where to start as far as how to get the investments um, for what we need. Um, I know we have to put together a business plan and get, you know, an, either an SBA or some other sort of loan. But um, I just, yeah, I, I need help in figuring out exactly how much we need if, if we do go this route. And I will tell you, and I'm happy to help and happy to do a sidebar with you, Marta. Yeah. Any lending institution is going to appreciate 
and have a greater comfort level with the level of detail of the cash flow report and the ramp up to financial sustainability. Because every lender looks at these kind of, here's our P&L, but there's right. no substantiation to it, right? It's, hey, Got this it. is what we think we can do. And so right. we can we can help you put that together. And Yeah, and make it I think it good. helps that we're kind of already an existing business. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great to know. Especially if you yeah. already have a relationship with that bank or lending institution, they're, they're more apt to want to work with you. Because as I said, rest, restaurants in the banking world are very, very risky. Is there a, a world that exists for you, Martha, where you could be more profitable if you were to hold off on the liabilities and just continue to do catering? And I mean, I mean, I mean, that's just kind of our foreseeable future until we take the next step. Um, I, I mean, I guess what's, what's going through my mind is I see a lot of people sometimes feel like they, they aren't legitimate until they have a brick and mortar. No, we feel like we're totally legitimate. Yeah. Like we're legitimate. We just, we're kind of like over our full-time jobs. Honestly, that that's, you know, but you know what, the Eric, whole and, thing. I think- and, and I think that, you know, I know that we would be successful if we opened. I mean, people are really excited for our food. Um, and I think as long as we did it right, we would be profitable. Gotcha. Ken, what were you going to say? I was going to, I was going to say, you know, a lot of times, right. When you're, when you're kind of working as a ghost, right, whether it's catering or even a food service operation, when you get kind of now that storefront or that standalone, it, it actually becomes a benefit to uh, um, uh, your marketing, right? Because, you know, people are driving by it. People are identifying with it, right? It is something that they can come and see and test. Right. Instead of going, oh, yeah, I actually had some of your stuff at somebody's reception versus going, yeah, we do have a standalone. We'd love for you to come in and, you know, we'll do a tasting for you here. And I think it can help. Right. You're going to you need the kitchen anyway. Right. You need the place anyway. And uh, it just becomes one of those places that helps to as an extension of the brand. Yeah, I feel that. Um, Martha, any last questions before we open it up for anybody else? No, I think I'm going to hire Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Wes or Kyle, uh, I know um, Wes, you've had some time to talk with Ken, so maybe he's answered your questions in the past. Kyle, you're not quite looking at any locations right now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm sure you probably have the baby on your lap right now, so I don't blame you for keeping the mic muted. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm good for right now. Awesome. He's occupied. I'm still, you know, starting where I can right now. It's out of my house for my small community. So I'm kind of a little bit further off in the future. But um, I think that what you answered about the hidden cost was and where to find certain things was the biggest kind of hookup that I was having um, diving into my business plan where it's like, I want to put a realistic number down, but where do I go to find said, you know, how much right. you like me? if I'm going to do a build out, what's going to hood like going to be like, or if it's going to be existing restaurant, like that's a huge difference, like difference factor in the financials of what I'm going to need. If it's going to be a large build out or not, or, you know, cause a lot of stuff I was getting hooked up on. Cause I was like, I don't want to guess on this. I just got to figure out where to find that number. Feel free to reach out Kyle. And you mentioned hood and I'll, I'll tell you guys and Eric, we can do a whole hour plus 
on ventilation and the value of buying high efficiency versus inexpensive. And I've had that conversation with clients in the past. Uh, and, and when I talk about the cost of, of, of commodity, low cost ventilation versus high efficiency, there's not a huge delta between them, right? In terms of, of additional costs, but the operating cost of the inefficient one is very expensive. You pay it every month in your utility bills for the life of your business. And so it, we've had clients who've just said, we can't afford it. And I'm like, let me show you on paper why you cannot afford it, why you cannot afford not to do it. So it, when you get there, Kyle, reach out. Happy to run you through some of that. Yeah. Uh, I have one question uh, that came to my mind earlier. I'm going to bring it back to the, the, the conversation. Uh, you talked a little bit about finding uh, like turnkey operations, operations that were once already a restaurant that you just move into. What is your experience with being someone's exit strategy? That's something that comes up a lot in the show. I think a lot of people are always waiting, just looking at the market, waiting for locations to pop up. But I would encourage people to look at locations that are still in business that you want to take over and maybe just approach those people and say, hey, if you're ever thinking about selling, like, do you have any experience in that or any advice regarding being someone's exit strategy? Look how young Kyle got. He's like Benjamin Button. <laughs> hey, Bunny. <laughs> he said, unfortunately, we can't hear you, but good to see you. <laughs> People listening in, uh, Kyle's son is standing in front of the camera. Yeah, super cute kid. Very cute. Anyway, um, I think it's a great idea because, you know, you never know when somebody's ready to get out. And a lot of people you know, don't want to hire a business broker because a lot of them are sharks, right? A lot of them don't want to list or hire a broker because they don't want to scare off their staff. But in the back of their mind, right, they've been quietly thinking, how and when do I get out of here? So I, listen, you know, you never know the answer unless you know, ask the question. So I think if there's a spot that you like, right, and and you think, you know, when I look at, you know, a couple of key things to look at is, is the place tired, right? Are they not putting money back into it? That's usually a pretty good sign that somebody's kind of over it or they just don't care anymore. And, you know, they got up on the surfboard, the wave has kind of crashed. They're just kind of riding this thing into shore until there's no more energy. Those are the ones that I would, I would probably look to first, but I would always ask the question, Eric. All they can say is no thanks, right? Is there a tactful way to go about doing that? I think you just go, you know, I would go there a few times, check it out, get a sense of the vibe of the place, really, you know, see what kind of traffic's driving by, see what kind of traffic's coming in, you know, ask to speak to the manager. Hey, how are things going? Hey, who owns this place? And, you know, the, the owner may even be absentee or a lot of times, you know, you can just go uh, like to the state, right, to uh, file search and see who owns it, you know, and just... Um, just shoot them a note. And what I would always recommend is if you're going to shoot them a letter, send it like FedEx next day, second day. Nobody looks at their mail, junk mail, junk mail. Everybody opens a FedEx envelope if they get it. So I would always suggest spend the 16 or 20 bucks and FedEx it to them because they'll open it and they'll read it. Yeah. Great advice. Awesome stuff today. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, if we have questions for you, uh, if you want to follow up, if we want to follow you, what's the best way to connect? 
Um, best way, uh, you can uh, always go to our website, uh, Studio FS, like food service, studiofs.com, uh, or just email me directly, ken at studiofs.com. Beautiful. And this is episode 802. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 802. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any uh, way to connect, any links, anything mentioned, links to uh, right there in the show notes. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. No, appreciate it. And guys, anytime I can help, please feel free to reach out. Happy to do it. Beautiful. Thank you. And cheers. Cheers. There you have it. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Ken Schwartz, for going deep into the subject of financial sustainability or ramping up for financial sustainability. And uh, this is a good example of the direction I'm taking Restaurant Unstoppable, uh, connecting with people in person, on site, developing a relationship and going deeper and really pulling back those layers and finding out where people are strong and just dissecting the information. And I think that a lot of information came out in today's chat. I hope you guys found value. I know you found value in today's. Uh, so if you want to be a part of these conversations, uh, if you want to be in the network, here's what you do. Head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. Join join the network. Support the podcast. You're really supporting the podcast when you join the network. And uh, be a part of the conversation. Be a part of this industry's transformation. It's that simple. Uh, speaking of the network, in the network we, next week, we really don't have a lot going on because I would be traveling to Chicago and making a stop in Philadelphia. So next week into uh, the second week of July, I'm going to be really busy on the road. So not a lot of activity in the network. However, we have some stuff getting lined up already for my return. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the recent episodes with uh, Chef Bill Taby and uh, Spencer Rubin, they've both agreed to join us for live peer mentoring. So if you want to listen to those episodes again and join us live in the network to get peer mentoring from one of those individuals or both of those individuals, uh, you know that's going to be happening the second week of June. I also have the founder and CEO of Restaurant 365 joining us to learn more about the history of restaurant 365 and to dive deep into the the benefits of restaurant 365 uh so if you're interested in that conversation that will be live in the network the second week of june and i really want to start uh leaning into these technologies that my guests are recommending organically and getting more intimate with them doing doing more like demos and screen sharing and finding operators who are using these tools and having them teach us what they're doing to get the most out of these tools so if that sounds interesting to you uh again join restaurant unstoppable network that's kind of what's on the horizon and uh that's it for now uh thank you guys so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out